I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Hello, and welcome back to Keanu Believe It, the Talk Film Society podcast that is all Keanu Reeves all the time. I'm Sam Van Heron, assistant editor over at TFS, and a lifelong fan of the singular Keanu Reeves. I will be your guide through his diverse and interesting career. Each week, a guest and I discuss a film from his filmography, which we're working through in chronological order. On this episode, we'll be discussing 1991's My Own Private Idaho. Uh, returning to be my guest to discuss the Gus Van Sant indie drama is David Hart. How's it going, David? It's going great. Am I your first return guest? You are indeed my first yes. return guest. Fantastic. This is what happens when you are behind the scenes and call dibs on movies. You can just like show up whenever you damn well please. Right. My uh, yeah, very first guest and now my first return guest. So many more firsts to come, I'm thinking. All right. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, so since you've been on here, we'll skip the whole, uh, do you like Keanu? We know you do. All right. Yeah, yeah everybody knows at this point. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk about uh, My Own Private Idaho. Uh, had you seen this before uh, coming on here? Uh, yeah, many times. That's why uh, I remember when you were first kicking around the idea of this, the first thing I said was like, hey, I'm claiming My Own Private Idaho <laughs> because it's one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite Keanu performances. So I've seen this probably... I would say probably six or seven times oh, wow. uh, okay. since 1991. So it's a, it's a very impo- important movie for me. So definitely seen it before. Yeah, I remember even you unprompted said, like, go watch My Own Private Idaho on that uh, River's Edge episode. So, uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah, that, that sounds like something I would do. Unprompted, just getting all up in your business, telling you what to do. That sounds about right. Uh, yeah, and it kind of appropriate. I mean, both. Uh, I mean, you know, both indie drama, so it kind of, it mm-hmm. works in that way, but, um, yeah, so I hadn't seen this before, I'd obviously heard a lot about it, uh, you know, everyone talking about how amazing River Phoenix is in it, and I, Ugh. yeah, like, I assume that that's true, because he's a great actor, I've never seen him be bad at anything, but, like, sitting down and watching it, though, just kind of blown away by how great he is, it's, I remember right after I said it, I was watching it, I was like, Honestly, one of the best performances I've ever seen. Like, it's just... Yeah, it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword watching his performances because it's, I mean, it's incredible to watch and it's enjoyable and amazing, but it also is, like, deeply saddening right. <laughs> to watch this because he was gone so young and just imagine what he could have done with his career, you know? I mean, he's just such a... You can see it here. It's a... It's definitely a difficult role. 
um, right. especially for someone so young. And he just like slides right in and appears so natural and so comfortable in a, you know, in a, you know, narcoleptic street hustler role. Right. <laughs> this is not your standard. And he's just so perfect here. And you just watch him and think like, wow, imagine what he could have done. Imagine what we could have had with, you know, River and Joaquin having these long careers. But, right. you know, sadly, it wasn't to be. Yeah. And especially, I mean, this movie, because of how his role is just like, it's really sad uh, in a lot of parts Oof. where it's like, just, so it's like, Knowing what happened is like it just all the more uh, yes. you know, devastating and uh, its impact. But uh, and this one uh, for people that have been listening since the beginning to this podcast, usually I go kind of in a plot order, but it's going to be kind of hard to do with uh, this movie because <laughs> is I there mean, a plot? There's not really? a lot of plot. It's mostly <laughs> just yeah. It's basically a collection of uh, you know. Uh, scenes with these characters and you know the, you actually try to follow it along it's kind of lo- you know lessens the movie I think a little bit so I think we'll just kind of yeah. talk about the individual you know scenes and kind of <laughs> so uh, I mean I'll try to keep it somewhat you know organized by <laughs> plot but it's again it's just not going to be as clean as some of the other episodes but I think that's fine right. um, so yeah but the opening uh, with River in this, I mean, again, this is kind of, this is a very, it wasn't really what I was expecting, honestly. Uh, well, actually, let me, let me ask you this. Was there something you were expecting out of this movie? Like going in relatively blind, hearing it's amazing. There's amazing performances. It's Van Sant. It's, it's called My Own Private Idaho. What do you, what do you expect going into a movie like that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was probably kind of just expecting a more by the numbers, uh, you know, mm-hmm indie drama in terms but it's, that's not what this is at all i mean it's very uh there's dreamlike moments there is also a somewhat of a shakespeare adaptation in yep. you know the so yeah honestly uh once I, it took me i was kind of that first scene kind of threw me a little bit but then yeah the first scene is like weirdly poetic Almost right. like this whole idea of, you know, this this spot of road that, you know, to our eyes probably looks, you know, pretty stale and mm-hmm. like any other. And we get this image from um, from his character of saying, like, there's nothing like this in the world. You know, right. like this is I'll recognize this spot no matter where I am, no matter mm-hmm. when I am. You know, the whole it's like a fucked up face. Right. Looking at you. you know, it's yeah. just like what it's it's one of those movies that I love the fact that it doesn't. It doesn't try to lure you in at all. It's just no. like it wears its like kind of indie cred on its sleeve in that first scene. Gus Van Sant is just kind of like who also wrote the movie, by the way. It's right. just like, OK, this is the type of movie you're in for. So if you're into this, you'll know it, I think, in the first four or five minutes. And if you're not, you'll you'll know it pretty quick, too. Right. And it's I mean, for some if someone at all, I mean, I hadn't seen a ton of uh, Van Sant movies, but like it, it's less of a. Uh, it's it's not Goodwill Hunting, right? It's not Goodwill sure. Hunting. It's more. I mean, <laughs> but that's what's you know, Van Sant is very. It's hard to pin him down. So that's what's mm-hmm. uh, you know. But I was very impressed by this movie. But yeah, not at all what I was expecting. I mean, that opening is basically him giving. Uh, I mean, the Shakespeare part is more about which we'll get into is more Keanu's storyline. But it's mm-hmm. still it's basically him giving a soliloquy in the opening of the movie. Is like you know, standing on the highway talking. So yep. Uh, and then, oh yeah, and the very first opening is that it's just, it's the definition of narcolepsy. Like, just in case you don't know what narcolepsy is, 
here's the it's definition. actually right. it's actually one of the only things in the movie i don't like is that they opened up with that and i think it's I understand why Van Sant does it. I think it's protective. So when you have that first scene and he passes out in the middle of the road and starts twitching, you're not left questioning what's going on. You know already because you have this dictionary Mm -hmm. definition. It's it's the only part of the movie I feel like kind of holds your hand. And it's just kind of like, here's what it is gonna be okay just get through it there's there's good stuff beyond this beyond this moment right but it kind of part of me kind of wishes that they and it makes me feel like maybe that was like a you know studio edit thing like what's going on here we don't understand Mm -hmm. like we have to you know you got to tell people what this is otherwise people are just gonna think he's some kind of freak right you know so they're like okay here's the definition it's gonna be all right but yeah and then speaking of that that it's kind of holding your hand but then the next scene you know right after the the titles is him getting a blowjob from a <laughs> random John. Like, that's... So yep. then right in... Yeah, then it's like, okay, this is... You know, especially in 1991, he's, you know, still yeah. very taboo. I mean, even more, you oh, know. Oh, yeah. So it's like... Absolutely. I mean, it is even today in some circles. So, like... But that, yeah, it throws you right into, like, this is who Mike is. And it's not... It's never, right. like, uh, you know, uh, apologizing for who he is. Like, this is who nope. Mike is deal with it like be this this is the character like uh yeah so and I, you know and like you said this coming out in 1991 like i was i think and i saw this when it first came out strangely and i was like 12 years old when <laughs> this first came out and this was definitely like the first the first time i remember seeing bisexuality on screen mm-hmm. in any way and it's still like even now in 2018 is a little shocking and i'm sure right. we'll get to this later but when we get to that that scene at the the kind of the campfire scene mm-hmm. i mean that's just so incredible like sh- seeing two two men be that vulnerable to one another is still really yeah. almost kind of shocking even now mm-hmm. you know what is this almost 30 years later and right. it's still kind of like it still feels edgy and it still feels fresh yeah for sure um and then uh so we basically uh so you know mike's a street hustler that's what's happening and then uh, they kind of start getting into the his routine of, you know, just basically hanging out on the streets, getting picked up, and uh, then he gets picked up by a middle-aged rich woman, uh, played by, I uh, can't remember the actress, but Mrs. Palmer from Twin Peaks, which I... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and and uh, so she takes him to the house, and that's where we meet. Uh, this is kind of where the stories intersect. Where he basically just kind of drops into... Uh, where he meets another street hustler played by uh, Keanu uh, named Scott. And it's very clear that Scott is a very different um, <laughs> hustler than uh, Mike. Is very clearly... Mike is, you know, it's shown right away that Mike's kind of desperate about it. Like he's, you know, he begs his John for money and then... Right. He's kind of bad at it. Yeah, you know? And it's for sure. it's due to his medical condition, for mm-hmm. sure. And that and that scene uh, with Mrs. Palmer, his name is Grace Zabriskie, by the way. Right. Um, she the the physical portrayal in that scene when he when he has his fit when he has his attack mm-hmm. is pretty incredible. Like just seeing his whole body go rigid as he's like trying to take off his his jacket in that scene is. I mean, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, and he just it's and he, physical like he collapses to the floor. It's very you know right again showing how committed uh, River is to this. Uh, yeah. But I think you're also right. I love the scene where we kind of first are introduced to Scott Keanu's character because you can tell right away, even though they 
they do the same thing for a living, like how different they are. Like you can see how polished Scott is. Right. Like from the first moment he's introduced as the camera kind of pans around the couch because you just see him from the back uh, when he first shows up and you're just like, oh, oh, you really you get this sense of you know what you're doing. Whereas the character we're following, Mike, is just kind of like stumbling along, trying to figure it out, bumming, like you said, bumming $10 off of his John, crying mm-hmm. at the bathroom door just so he can survive till the next day. And Keanu is very well dressed. He's very put together. And you just know he's he's got everything kind of in control, at least for him. Right. And he's, you know, he's just chilling on the couch uh, with a magazine. Like, that's just the, and he's very, and Mike is, you know, doesn't know where to stand. He's like, right. Not used to that being in this, obviously this nice house. And, um, but Scott's obviously very comfortable in that and kind of, which we're learn later why, but, uh, right. And the, the way he's kind of set, like kind of, it's also clear right away that he cares about Mike. Not we don't know the extent yet, but, uh, cause he's like, don't worry. It's, she's not a freak. Like she's just, right. He sets him at ease yeah. at the very beginning. Yeah, for sure. And it, and it's another thing about river Phoenix's performance. It's, there's not a lot of dialogue for him in these kind of opening scenes, mm-hmm. but you already, you can see somehow that he's uncomfortable in his own skin. Mm-hmm. And that's a really difficult thing to portray physically without it being over the top and it being like a twitchy performance. Right. And it's not that at all. You just get this sense of like, oh, I don't I don't like where I am. I I don't I don't know when the next fit is going to kind of attack me and I'm uncomfortable constantly. Right. Uh yeah, which is, you know, a great uh to get you into that world because the I mean, you don't you know, it's it's obviously a it's a queer it's a film, you know, it's a queer storyline. I mean it's uh but it's mm-hmm. not uh, but for people that aren't familiar with, you know, that culture at all, which in 1991 would be even more of the case, uh, that he, that, that kind of him being narcoleptic kind of gets that idea of this is why he's uncomfortable in this. And you can kind mm-hmm. of immediately associate with that. But then the fact that he's also because of his past and his uh, identity right. and everything. So it's a really, I think it's a neat, uh, way to get into that world. But, um. And so, yeah, he, you know, passes out, uh, and, but Keanu kind of helps him into this long, like he's, you, you know, kind of, clearly he's done this before. Like he's been <laughs> around Mike when he's, uh, triggered before, but, uh, and then we're introduced to Hans, uh, played by Udo <laughs> Kier, which is a very, this is a very interesting, uh, performance and character here. But it's very Udo Kier. Like that's yep. really the only way. He's like the only person who could play this role. Like right. he's so I, I'm not convinced it's really acting. And and one of the things I noticed is I felt like you know the the story could have gone kind of one of two ways uh, with with that character. It could have just been that one scene, and then he disappears forever, and it would have been this like weird interaction that happened. Mm-hmm. But like these are street hustlers, so you're going to have these weird interactions. But I like that he ends up being tied into to them getting to to Rome at the right. at, at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and it's just like oh, what an interesting choice because this could have just been a bump in the road, but it became like it, it was strangely like sweet. Right. The way that the way that Hans uh, views Mike, like he just he you could tell he's really he really likes him, and it's right. not purely a sexual thing. It's just like this. It's it's a weird like kind of combination like sexual attraction and this like kind of endearing like f- almost familial right uh, reaction to him mm-hmm. and wanting to take care of him. It's very sweet. Yeah, and the yeah you know, like the the initial reaction Mike has is like 
this guy's clear. He's like, he's a creep. He just thinks that he's mm. a creep. But then right. the fact that he's not like the, uh, he passes out again. Like, and then, uh, and then this is where, you know, it cuts to, uh, this happens several times where he passes out and then he, he wakes up in, uh, Portland with, uh, <laughs> with Scott and it's not explained. It's like, okay, so clearly he's, I just want that life where I like pass out and just wake up with Keanu Reeves. I think that's, right. that's a pretty good. Way and he's to go like, out. And, he's, and he's holding him at, at a fountain. Like this is the kind. Of, like, yeah, you know, <laughs> not a bad way to wake up. Yeah. Um, and then this is where the movie, uh, which I, so before watching it, I had no idea that there was that it was a loose adaptation of uh, Henry the Fourth and Henry the Fifth. Especially, it's basically mm-hmm. Scott's storyline is uh, we find out that Scott is the. Son of the mayor of Portland, uh, right? Not Kyle McLaughlin, so this is not a Portlandia thing. But he is. The, <laughs> uh, anyway, so the and that's based. So basically, what you know, Henry the Fourth is about is uh, he plays, uh, you know, is the son of the king, and he, uh, you know, decides to he doesn't like being an heir, so he leaves and uh, you know basically joins up with a bunch of street. Uh, you know, gang members and stuff. And so that's a kind of a, I didn't had no idea that was the case in this movie. So no, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you didn't know. Cause it's so, <laughs> it's interesting. Cause the, one of the first moments I think you get a hint of it is that scene you talked about where Keanu is like kind of, you know, covering, uh, covering, uh, Mike with a coat and mm-hmm. taking care of him. And it's the, the, the dialogue there is very strange or really not dialogue. It's a monologue because, you know, Mike's unconscious, right. but it's very, it's very Shakespearean and it's very presentational. And I remember the first time I watched it being like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And then once you kind of slide into kind of, you know, Bob Pigeon, who is essentially Falstaff, right. um, you know, once that starts, you're like, and if you've read Shakespeare, and I'm kind of a Shakespeare nerd, so as soon as that started to happen, I was like, oh my god, this is fantastic. And there's a scene with Keanu off to the side drinking a beer, and oh. it's Falstaff brand beer. You know, like yeah, there's all great. these little, little fun, little, little odes to it, and it's, but it's still, it's strangely very natural. And I think this is, you know, definitely Keanu's best. Uh, Shakespearean role. Like, of course, he was in Much Ado About Nothing, and depending on who you ask, that's either, you know, the worst performance of his career or one of the worst. <laughs> like, people are not big fans of his Don John, mm-hmm. but I think his his version of Prince Hal here is really natural and really fun to watch, especially the scene uh, after they have, they have fooled Bob Pigeon, mm-hmm. and he kind of sets him up to tell all these lies. I think Keanu's great Oh, in that yeah, scene, that scene is I think, amazing. I think yeah. he dominates in that scene, and you know, I think he's you know better than River Phoenix in that scene, and he's better than uh, William Reichert who plays Bob Pigeon. I mean, he just commands the screen mm-hmm. in that moment. Like he, and it's one of those moments we talked about this when we talked about River's Edge. There's always a moment, pretty much in every counter movie, where you're like, he's a star, right? And mm-hmm. to me, that scene is where he really just kind of gets into it, and you can see the talent there, right? And I think. The, yeah, like you said, it's just it feels natural. It doesn't feel that they're doing Shakespeare just to be pretentious. Like it's it works because we're trying to get into this, uh, you know, this world of uh, street hustlers, and it kind of makes sense that they would have their own, uh, you know, way of talking, their own yep. uh, manners, and everything. It just happens to be that it sounds Shakespearean. And I love actually, you know, uh, Bob Pigeon's a great weird character. Like he, oh, so good. Uh, and this there's this part where they're uh, basically, uh, they he's kind of just hangs around with these street kids. Like he, uh, you know, clearly he he gets has a power trip where he thinks that he can 
maybe get something out of them, especially Scott. Like he thinks if he can, uh, mm. you know, keep Scott uh, on his side, that when he eventually goes back to his, uh, you know, privileged upbringing, that he'll maybe get yeah. some of that, get a piece of that. Um, yeah, he wants to ride him to the top. Yeah. I mean, it's and you know that's that's perfectly in line with Falstaff and how in King Henry the Fourth. Like, think about it. if you're an old drunkard knave right mm-hmm. and you you've got just enough money to pay for your drinks and that's about it and all of a sudden in walks the heir to the kingdom and like oh i gotta be friends with this guy because if i can stay friends with yeah. him until he comes to his senses and gets all of his power and his money maybe some will trickle right down to me and i'll be okay uh so i think i think bob pigeon's portrayal here is just i mean it's pitch perfect like he's it's really tough because Falstaff has to be charming and kind of dirty and dingy. And mm-hmm. he really masters that of like, you can see why people want to hang out with him and you can see why he's entertaining. But especially when it comes to the kind of near the very end of the film, uh, when he goes into high society, you really see the difference between charming people in high society and Bob Pigeon. Right. And the, the uh, costuming's great here where he like looks mm-hmm. like a, uh, he's like, like almost like lifted out of a Shakespeare uh, play yeah. like, um, but and, also could be homeless, right. In the nineties, you know, like yeah. it's <laughs> either way works. And he's got a sidekick, uh, played by flea. Cause of course flea's in it. Um, of course. Uh, and the, <laughs> but there's this great scene, uh, before Bob comes back into play, uh, there's this great scene of, um, just them in a Chinese restaurant that they're clearly there a lot. Like this is the, the <laughs> hangout of the hustlers. And, uh, there's this great kind of, uh, there's this scene where it's like multiple conversations going on at once oh. and it's not, uh, and it's pretty, you know, they're talking about it matter of fact, but it's pretty haunting in terms of what they're talking about. Cause like one guy talks about how he, you know, got raped by a John. One guy's talking about how, uh, he got beat up by this guy and like, but then also just that this is just the way that, and they're not, this is just, right. this is their lives. And it's kind of a really interestingly shot scene. Like it's very, uh, you know, almost documentary like where it's just kind of yeah. focusing on these guys having this conversation. It's uh, yes, this is beautiful series of vignettes about all their first dates and all the terrible things that happen. And I, I, I like what you said that it's all very matter of fact and it really kind of talks about how people can get used to trauma if that's the world they live in, mm-hmm. right? If you're if your entire community is a bunch of street hustlers uh and you you all have horror stories to tell because like there's a lot of, you know, and this is true now too, there's a lot of violence against against sex workers, mm-hmm. which is what they are. So they all tell these stories very matter of fact and you know, you from the outside looking in, you know, I'm making an assumption of your of your listeners from the outside looking in, you know, you might look at this and be like, God, why would you stay there? But mm-hmm. then you see after that scene, the interactions between them, you know, you have Keanu like comforting this girl who's just, we don't really know why, but is like crying so hard. It looks like she's going to die. Like yeah. Something terrible has happened, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if anything, what this movie to me is really about is about finding family. Like that's the whole goal right. of our main character. Mm-hmm. And, Maybe not realizing that the closest thing he is going to have to family is this community of people that he's built. The times we see him happy are when he's with Scott, or when he's playing a trick on Bob Pigeon, right. or when he's you know just hanging out at the at the Chinese at the Chinese restaurant. You know, like these. This is family, and like you talked about this being a queer story, and that you know ties in perfectly to 
the queer experience, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, like, I don't know if people use this term now, but there used to be this kind of code for, like, if you're asking if someone was queer, you would say, are they family? Mm. So that that becomes, like, this shorthand because so many of these, especially young kids, right. were kicked out of their homes or, you know, thrown out of violent homes because they were gay or queer. Sure. And they found family with other people like them. So it's really interesting to me that that, to me, became kind of the main theme of my own private Idaho. For sure. Uh, and uh, so then, yeah, and then, like you said, the, they're playing a trick on Pigeon is basically uh, he he wants to take these guys and, you know, rob these other, um, it's unclear, but it's just like these other street guys. and <laughs> Unimportant uh, yeah, also. <laughs> right. And, uh, and then, so they basically trick them up with it. Again, this is where it feels very Shakespeare with everything with um, Pigeon and everything and the... Uh, but like the way that they, um, tr- so basically Mike and Scott decide to rob them after they've robbed these other guys, and uh, there's a, it's great and funny uh, with them, you know, putting on disguises, and again, it feels very much like a one of Shakespeare's comedy uh, moments, right. and it's really well done, and uh, and then, but the like you were, you said earlier, this great scene with uh, where they are basically showing that. Pigeon's a liar to the, all the other kids, and it's just—it's great. Uh, and it's—and it's so well—it's so well edited, like cutting back and forth between the story and mm-hmm. you know Keanu and and River kind of whispering to each other, like, right. "Oh, it was two. Now it's five. Now it's seven. I mean, it's so—it's so quick and so on point. And it again, like, of course, because it's Shakespearean, like, feels like a stage play, right? Where everything is perfectly timed, mm-hmm. and it works so well, and it's so entertaining. Like, you could honestly just watch that five-minute scene. And it's totally entertaining in its own little tiny short film. Like, it's so fantastic. And everyone in it is so good. And the reactions feel really natural. And it would be so easy for this to be over the top and ridiculous and feel too theatrical. But I don't think it ever kind of tips over to that point. Right. Uh, Like, that's exactly, you know, the way, obviously, people that have seen Shakespeare plays, it's very much like that. Where, like, two characters will be standing next to each other talking about their own, you know, their own thing and or even having a... You know, off talking to the uh, side and everything, and uh, yeah, but it, it feels great, and it just kind of works again. Back to this, getting into this world, and um, it's just it's a great, it's just a lot of fun to watch. And then, uh, yeah, so basically, we find then we find out that uh, Mike wants to. Uh, we start having these flashes where he basically wants to go to find his mother. Like that's really the that's what's. Something happened to him that he, you know, got disconnected from his mother. Uh, and so then they randomly just take a trip to, you know, take a bike trip to uh, Idaho. And it's, uh, again, really great scene with them. Um, just, again, it just kind of skips forward, right? Like, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not really a road movie. I mean, technically it is, but they're not, it's not in your typical way where they're, showing them long scenes of them driving and talking. Like, it's more just the... It skips to the meat of it. Um, right, you just get to the destination. It's mm-hmm. not one of those, like, let's have a conversation while we're on the back of this motorcycle right. and, like, you know, spend time going from Portland to to Idaho. It's just like, and we're in Idaho, mm-hmm. and now we move forward with, with the story such as it is. Yeah, and then uh, probably the scene of the movie, um, which is right in the middle of it, but it's... Uh, just this campfire scene um, with uh, it's they're you know they're sitting next to each other at, at night uh, and Mike basically 
tears open his heart to Scott, uh, just saying, like, uh, and it's very quiet. It's not dramatic. It's not like over the top. He's not like crying or anything. He's just like, just uh, basically like saying that he likes him that way, you know, like that he's in love uh-huh. with him. And uh, it's clear that Scott and Mike are in very different um, parts of their. Uh, you know, like Scott is kind of in denial of this feeling that he says, like, he even says, uh, two guys can't be in love. Like, and mm-hmm. it just, you can see it in River's performance of just Mike being just destroyed by this. It's yeah. really heartbreaking. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there's probably a lot of reasons, uh, that Scott, uh, is has gone that way. I mean, probably part of it is just he's been a hustler for a long time and doing this for money. But also, like I think, even at this point, he knows he knows where he's going. Mm-hmm. He knows he's going back to that high society life, and he knows you know having a romantic relationship with a man doesn't fit in right. with that. And he knows exactly what he's going to do. But that scene is completely heartbreaking. Like you know, I think. I think in most like queer movies, like even though a lot of them end really painfully, um, many times with the death of a major character, mm-hmm. you still kind of expect your two love interests to get together right. at some point, and you're kind of you're very much rooting for this because they're so charming together and they're so at ease with one another. I mean, even Scott Keanu's character says during this this scene, like, "Of course I care about you. You're my best friend," mm-hmm. and he means it. Like it's really and it's really endearing. But I think the most impressive thing about this scene is, again, the physical performance from River Phoenix. Like he just like the way he kind of just kind of physically folds in on himself. And you can see like as he's getting rejected, which is essentially what's happening Mm -hmm. here, um, he is his body gets tighter and tighter and close more and more closed in on itself. And he stops making eye contact. But he's never disrespectful. He's never angry. Right. He never lashes out. Mm -hmm. That's got because he loves him. And, you know, he just like, here, I'm telling you exactly how I feel. And at some level, you can't really fault Scott either, because if he doesn't feel that and if he truly believes that two men can't be romantic with one another, Mm -hmm. he shouldn't force himself to be with Mike. But, of course, we've been with Mike this whole time and we're just rooting so hard for him. And we've seen Scott take care of him in a way that feels like more than friendship. You know, you mentioned that scene where he's essentially carrying him and cradling him right. in front of the fountain. Like, he could have laid him on the on the edge of the fountain, on the little bench there, and just sat there with him. But instead, he carries him, like, kind of like a damsel in distress, almost, you know? Like, right. <laughs> carrying him to safety. So you really are rooting for them. So that scene, and it's another scene that could have gone on longer and longer and could have felt over the top right. and melodramatic and it really didn't it just felt very raw and very real and and very you know very solidly there in the moment and i think that's why it's so effective right. is that it's not outlandishly emotional it's just two men talking about their feelings and being vulnerable with one another which is again really rare to see right and uh you know van santos does an amazing job of that throughout where it's he doesn't dwell on certain scenes he just kind of he shows it and it works and it's powerful and then if and then it just moves on to the next thing it's not like yep. drowning you in it it's like no this is just this is kind of how life is right it's right we're not knowing that these moments are going to be hugely impactful until way later and so it kind of all of these scenes maybe individually don't necessarily you know but it's, all together they kind of have this huge impact and 
Uh, yeah, and I think you just hit on why I think this is like Van Sant's masterpiece. Like, I think I like Van Sant as a director a lot, but there's a lot of movies where he either goes for satire or goes for the emotion, goes for melodrama. Uh, but here, he's very contained and almost like limits himself, and you can like almost feel like the emotion wanting to flood out, but knowing that in in these characters it wouldn't be that way right and it's all held back in this really interesting way yeah i mean and then he has this other where he does the opposite extreme of like very minimalist like uh you know elephant and stuff like where he right. goes to that but maybe yeah. limits himself a little too much right yeah but <laughs> exactly. yeah so this is kind of that great balance of uh yeah all of his sensibilities but uh and then so yeah they finally you know they make it to um mike's brother uh, that he you know he refers to as his brother, um, and there's a scene where they're in a trailer, and again it's another quietly haunting and devastating scene with him and uh, having this conversation with his brother, saying that like, and I'm kind of unclear. I don't know if it's kind of maybe again p- part of the point of uh, like maybe this his brother Richard is his dad. Like is that I mean it's, yeah. yeah yeah it's it, I think it's supposed to be unclear. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I, but I think the most powerful thing about that scene to me is this idea of, you know, our, our experience of people is not everyone's experience mm-hmm. of people, right? Like there's a lot of stuff about his mother. Um, even in the beginning of the movie, every time he kind of passes out, he has this vision of her stroking his hair and saying it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that is his image. That's what he holds on to. And then you get this story from his brother slash father who knows what he really is. And this very different experience of her, like her, you know, stirring the stir frying the vegetables with a loaded gun, you know, mm-hmm. like this totally imbalanced right. perspective, you know, and kind of, you know, a little bit of slut shaming in the movie, but kind of like talking about her, like going off to these bars, trying to find a man. Right. And that's definitely not the image that Mike has of his mother and what he's been searching for the entire time we've known him. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting to me too, that like he's maybe searching for this thing that not only he can't find, but never really existed. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, Keanu does really great work throughout the movie, but there's a scene in this scene. It's like he's not, ta- he barely talks in it, but it's all just these glances he's giving. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, very, yes. very caring for Mike. And I think this is why, you know, this is Keanu's ultimate strength is basically these not, the scenes where he's not talking very much. I mean, that's why, you know, later on in the, his, like, that's why John Wick is such, so many people talk about it. Like, right the Keanu movie because he barely talks, but it's still right. powerful. I mean, I don't think... I think we actually... I think we kind of talked about that when I was on here last time. Mm-hmm. The the whole idea that, like, you know, he almost would have been better served to have been born decades earlier and been a silent film actor mm-hmm. because he's so perfectly expressive. And I think you really hit the nail on the head in this scene is that we... Even though Mike is going through all this trauma and drama with his with his family. We have to know that Scott gives a shit. Mm-hmm. We have to know that he cares about him, especially after this heartbreaking scene earlier. We have to know that he's still his friend, and we get that just in the way he looks at him and is reacting to this scene, and that he, even without touching him, without saying anything to him, that Scott is there for Mike in a real, tangible way. For sure, uh, and then yeah, and just. Like you said, that he cares about him, and they we go to uh, this where he finds out that uh, that she worked at this hotel. Uh, so they go to the hotel, uh, and then find out that she's in a town in Italy, and so that's uh, and then 
of course, Hans is going to be there because why wouldn't he be? Because um, he's Euro trash. Right. So we got to get to Europe. So we talk to Hans. That's... Uh, and then in this scene, again, more of uh, Keanu just like uh, caring for Mike. Is So they go up to his room uh, and Hans does this weird Euro dance, like this odd dance number with a, with a lamp, which is yeah, it's a great, great scene. Uh, just kind of basically focuses on Udo Kier. Uh, lip syncing and dancing to this, uh, you know, Euro techno music. It's great. Uh, <laughs> and, but then, uh, so Mike, you know, starts to pass out again and, uh, you know, Scott goes over to him and like kind of lays him down. Uh, it's just, again, really, this really is really tender, uh, moments that show how much they care about each other. And it basically, you know, it's, it is a love story between these two, even if, yeah. One is, you know, after a more uh, romantic love, one still just cares about him deeply. And uh... Yeah, and I think the, the thing that's great about those interactions with, with Keanu and River is that there's never, never a single moment in this movie where Scott looks put out mm-hmm. by having to take care of Mike. Right. Like, it's one of those, like, no, it's just what you do for your friends. Whereas everyone else who comes in contact with him in the movie is either freaked out or annoyed or makes fun of him. Mm-hmm. For this, whereas whereas Scott is just like you know that's just who he is. So and he's my friend, so I'm going to take care of him. Right. And it never it never looks like something that he has to do, just something that he's going to do because it's his friend. Exactly. Uh, and then we so basically it goes to uh, them now in Italy um, again again skipping to Italy because we don't care about the flight over there. Um, right. But they slept through the flight. Right. Who cares? It's. <laughs> Although one thing I did notice was uh, weird is when they go to the airport, uh, Jim Caviezel is working at the airport <laughs> counter right. and he has like one line. It's like, I want, okay, yes. cool. Hi, Jim yes, Caviezel. Jesus makes an appearance right. in my own private Idaho. That's true. <laughs> uh, and so we show up in Rome uh, and it's basically Mike wakes up in the middle of this, uh, you know, plaza being. Uh, talked to by street hustlers in Rome. So that's kind of the cool thing. Another cool thing is that they find the, you know, another community uh, yep. in Rome. There's it's, family in Rome too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and again, this is great. Like there's no subtitles. Like we don't, they don't, we, they don't understand yeah. them. So we can, we don't <laughs> understand them. Uh, but again, like you get exactly what's happening. Like they're just kind of, they're okay with them being there. Uh, and, uh, but then they basically find out that uh, his mom was in a small farm village, you know, outside of Rome. Uh, so they head there, and this is where, uh, you know, Scott, well, uh, Mike is looking around for his mom in this kind of rundown farmhouse or whatever. Uh, Scott meets a uh, Italian, you know, farm girl, uh, and kind of immediately you're seeing that he immediately has this connection to her. Uh, which makes you kind of, which is nice because it's, you know, she's a, she's a cute, you know, likable girl or whatever, but you know how that's going to impact but Mike. But she's and, not Mike. Right. Ugh, yeah. It's so painful. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you think about the, uh, the choice that Van Sant made instead of to have like a full on motion sex scene to have these kind of sex tableaus oh. Oh, yeah. uh, between Carmela and, and Scott? Well, and it also, before that, it was, yeah, I skipped over that, where they do that with Hans, too. So, like, the, 
mm-hmm. sex scene between Han, Scott, and Mike is all these freeze frame, uh, you know, just kind of shots of, uh, and I'm, honestly, I don't know if I can, because this, again, this is my first time seeing it, I only saw it a couple days ago, I don't really know how much I can, uh, it was interesting for sure, uh, so what do you, what do you think about those? I mean, I, I love it because like, it's, of course, like, you know, you still have these like naked, beautiful bodies, so mm-hmm. it's still titillating, but it's not, it doesn't feel like we're spying. Yeah. Whereas, whereas when you have this kind of, if you would have like a full on sex scene between these people, it might feel like even a little more painful with, you know, yeah. what, what we're thinking about Mike, but just having these quick one little shot here, one little shot there, it gets the point across. And still, and of course, you know, this is at its, at its heart, like a, this is an indie art film for sure. Mm-hmm. And that really, and I think that fits in with the style for sure. But I'd be interested to hear what like Van Sant would say about like why he chose to do that. Cause it, but it definitely stands out and it's something that, I've always remembered from this movie is is those shots because they're so artistically yeah. pure and beautiful to look at. And I, I think, I mean, if it was a major studio movie, I'd think maybe that was to like, uh, you know, get past censors or whatever. But it's really not. You know, right. This is a indie, you know, as indie as they get, and so it's almost clearly it was an artistic choice on his part, right. and it's. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's any deeper thing. He, I, I'd have to listen to the. Uh, you know the Criterion uh, commentary, the commentary or something on it, yeah, but, uh, yeah. But again, they are. It's really well done, it's, and it works. Like it, it gets all the emotions you need, and the, still has that longing of, you know, that Mike doesn't get to, you know, have Scott the way he, you know, truly wants. But uh, but then it, it never like again. It, there's no villain here. Like it's not like no. your average. You know where he like breaking Mike's heart. He's just saying like. Uh, I'm in love. Like, I can't help it. Like, it's not... I didn't plan this. Uh, right. And he was never dishonest. He was never saying, like, oh, I'll be with you someday, or I do love you like you love me, and then he goes off with Carmela. Like, he told him, like, no, this is not This is not who I am, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like I can be in love with a man. I don't, I don't feel like I can do that without pay. Right. And so when he hooks up with Carmela, you're like, yeah, that fits with Scott. That's who he is. And there's this really nice uh, scene, because so Carmela does say, you know, when they first meet her, uh, that she was friends with Mike's mom, but she's not here anymore. Uh, like, that's... Right. And there's this really lovely scene between uh, Mike and Carmela where... Uh, he's kind of just sitting there and she kind of realizes that, you know, Mike is also in love with Scott. And she does, right. again, she just kind of, it's there for him. Like, it's kind of nice. Like, the, there's just, there's not really much dialogue here. It's just basically, uh, you know, them kind of connecting, which is, again, but it's still yeah. sad. Like, when he leaves uh, Mike there and it's, there's this really, there's this moment where uh, they're driving off and Mike, like, storms out trying to, like, one of the, maybe stopping him or something, but... It's too late, and it's just again, right. just this look on River's face is just—it's just so heartbreaking. Oh, yeah, so painful. Yeah, and in so many ways, this isn't your standard story. Like you know, Mike and Scott don't end up together. You know, there's no huge reunion with uh, with Mike's mom. Like mm-hmm. you know, ever all these goals that the movie has, at least ostensibly, like it never achieves them. And like, you know, like life, sometimes things don't work out. Like you go on this big road trip to find this person and like, well, shit, they're not there. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I even flew to Italy and they still weren't there. Right. You know, and it's just like, she went back and life America. can yeah. be heartbreaking mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, and he, uh, Mike goes back to Rome, tries to, he picks up a guy, uh, but then immediately passes out and this guy just leaves. Like, it's not, I was, yeah. again, it's not exploitative at all. Like, it's very much, this guy just thinks it's weird and leaves. Like, that's. Right. Uh, you know, it's not, and it hammers home why he loves Scott so much. Mm-hmm. Like Scott's the only person that, when this happened, didn't leave, right? And didn't leave him to the, you know, to the mercy of whoever might be passing by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right after that, it's him waking up uh, on a plane as they're landing in Portland, uh, and uh, then it's kind of does this where he just gets right back into the old routine of that he had uh, before, which is like you know. Back at this bus stop, uh, back at this mm-hmm. storefront, um, and then uh, we show uh, that he's there with Bob, like he's basically just laying on this uh, bench with Bob Pigeon, uh, and then Mike shows up, you know, fully embracing his uh, the heir to this uh, throne, you know, and uh, it's very clear that Mike is, you know, he's in a suit, he's like, you know, tailored to the nines, he's got, he's in the right. back of the limo with uh you know with carmela and clearly he's moved on and this is like he's choosing this life um while mike is yeah. you know laying there and uh again like you mentioned earlier the scene with bob uh Oof. coming into the uh nightclub and everyone looking like you know all these people like who the hell is this guy like <laughs> uh and but then again very shakespeare here where he's like uh you know gives this uh, pretends he doesn't know him, but also accepting, like, you know, the the Scott you knew or whatever, like, you know, he's basically like, uh, I don't need you anymore, like, and it's... Right. Uh, you know, and it's 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 an impressive performance, uh, not only by Keanu Reeves, but William Riker, who plays Bob Pigeon in this scene, because I think it's, you know, and again, this is the Falstaff stand-in mm-hmm. for King Henry IV, and it's, that's a really kind of legendary role because it is so difficult because he has to be such a jerk and such an ass. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, you should feel pity for him when when his friend, Prince Hal, or in this case, Scott Favor, mm-hmm. has turned his back on him. And I think you really feel that in that moment. And a lot of it is is due to Bob Pigeon, but a lot of it is due to Keanu's performance when he kind of tells him you know, basically the Scott you knew is dead. Mm-hmm. Like there's pain in there too, even though he is standoffish. It's a really kind of intricate vocal and physical performance by Keanu in that moment right. um, that probably doesn't get enough uh, enough attention in this movie. Like it's not as showy as some of the other stuff going on here, but you can hear the pain in his voice and see the stiffness in his body in that scene as he rejects his life that in a lot of ways was more rewarding emotionally than his new life will ever be. But this will be much more rewarding, of course, financially right. and in terms of social stature. Yeah. And, and then, you know, Bob basically now knowing that his big life goal over these last, you know, however long he's known Scott is, uh, just gone and he, you know, dies. And it's the scene where, uh, but the impressive part of the scene is that, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's sad that Mike doesn't get to, you know, didn't, uh, end up with Scott, but at the same time, he like kind of embraces this, uh, you know, his family more. This, this family now, uh, where basically he's the new, without necessarily saying it, he's kind of like the new Bob. Like he's deciding to, yeah. or that he's, you know, his life. He couldn't find his mom. He couldn't get everything he wanted. So he just kind of, you know, embraces this, and they do this through 
so Scott's dad also dies at the same time. You know, basically, the, and so their funerals end up at the same time, and uh, they cut right. to Scott's uh, dad's funeral, where it's this you know somber. Everyone's in black, right. sitting you know in just a normal funeral, and then you start hearing like shouting from <laughs> over the hill, and it's uh, the complete opposite, where it's yeah. Bob's funeral, where they're he's in a car, he's in a plywood box, and they're dancing and cheering and. You know, having just this. like chanting his name mm-hmm. by the end, like it's. I, I love the dichotomy of that scene and showing these two different societies, and it, it makes you wonder, like, who is who's really better adjusted? Or right. is, is it the people who are completely somber and sad, or is it the people who are sad but still celebrating the way that this person? I, I think Bob would approve. Right. Of the way this ended up, especially being right across from kind of the upper crust of society and bothering them right. in their time of sorrow. Yeah, it's and perfect. There's, the, you know, Scott and Mike see each other, um, and then they kind of just go back about what they were doing. And uh, but yeah, it's like you said, the uh, yeah, they're all they're basically they're homeless and they're uh, in a dirt pit and they're like, you know, but they're being themselves. Like that's where yeah. Scott is just kind of. Uh, forgetting his old, his other life and just kind of going, uh, you know, being part of uh, everything else. And it's, yeah, it's just a really well done kind of uh, thesis statement of the movie. It's like, this is what... <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and then, and then, of course, it's him back on the highway an unknown amount of time later, uh, back in Idaho. So, and he, like you said, he's been there before and he's, that he's doing the same things over and over and, uh, it ends with, which I, you know, basically him passing out, uh, two dudes steal his stuff, and then another guy comes up and just puts him in his car and drives away. And it's like, so yeah. that ending is pretty, you know, ambi- very ambiguous, obviously, but, um, so what do you, what do you think about this ending? I mean, I think it, it fits in, for me at least, it fit in. I mean, like you said, it is ambiguous. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways you can take it, with, which I kind of love. But I right. think it really fits into how much we need people, right. how much we can't make it on our own, mm-hmm. how much we need to depend on our friends and our family, whether chosen or blood. And the fact that he's all alone on that highway and he's, you know, not only, you know, anyone alone on a highway, it's a dangerous situation, right. but especially given you know, his, his narcolepsy, it's really dangerous for him. And the movie kind of plays that out and sees like, okay, here's what happens when, you know, you leave your friends behind. Here's what happens when people like Scott are no longer around. I think in a lot of ways, like, I think they do have a nice moment at the funeral, but Scott, I think makes some choices in the second half of the movie that we're not meant to approve of. And we'd much rather him and Mike continue their road trip, whether they were in love or not, like, and just be with one another uh, because we need people. Uh, And the fact that the movie ends with him being robbed and maybe kidnapped, I mean, I think says a lot about that in the final frame. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because that, you know, Scott could have done both. Like he didn't need to. uh, I mean, I know it's society would say that you do, but like, he chose. He made a choice to not be with his friend anymore. Like he, kind of in that scene in Italy where he's kind of saying, "Like I'm not gonna," he said, "I'm gonna go away for a while." But it's clear that he's, you know, going away for good. And so yeah, it's very. Yeah. It's a powerful uh, scene for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this, uh, honestly, again, like I said, I wasn't expecting this at all, but very impressed by this movie, and I'm sure I'll see it again. It's. I feel like it'll be one that I'll, you know. Yeah. 
like even more the next time I see it. But uh. yeah, it's one of those movies that it's it's one of my favorites, but it's also a very difficult movie to recommend, right? Because <laughs> sure. it is, you know, you don't want to give anything away, but then if you don't, you recommend it to the wrong person. They're like, "What the fuck did you just put me through? Like, what is happening? It's like half Shakespeare, half art film. Right. What, am I, <laughs> what am I meant to take from this?" And I think it's one of those movies that was very formative for me in my movie watching because I saw it when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, mm-hmm. and it was a big deal for me. So it always makes me wonder when I recommend it to someone and they come in blind, like. What are they going to think about this? So I'm so happy that you had a good experience <laughs> watching this for the first time and kind of not knowing what to expect because it is a movie that I think asks a fair amount of its audience yeah. to kind of go go along with. Like other than that one moment we talked about in that kind of opening frame with the dictionary definition, other than that, it just kind of asks you to go along for the ride here and and see what you can take from it. And I think uh, you know a lot of people will take different things from it, and I think it's a really interesting art film in that way, is that it doesn't have one interpretation. Right. I think there's a lot of ways you can take it, so it's a good conversation to have. And, yeah, and the fact that, uh, you know, unless their hands are in, you know, this, it's basically two stories smashed into each other and it but it just mm-hmm. works uh because of again the it lives and dies in those two central performances and uh yeah the casting was great i mean initially oh they're both so perfect yeah it's and the originally <laughs> wow. like keanu was cast first and he kind of wanted river to be in it but uh you know like river initially read for like wanted to do wanted to play the scott part but i couldn't imagine i mean it's just perfect the way uh that it ended up but Again, I would definitely recommend checking this out. Like, I think you... It's one of Keanu's best performances, so you kind of need to see it. And it feels like the movie where he... uh, This is definitely my favorite Keanu performance so far uh, in the... You know, in my journey here, but... Yeah, and they... Him and River, like, did this and I Love You to Death back to back. Right. Is that right? Like, that's kind of cool that you see these two young, really talented actors kind of coming up together and like supporting one another and like trying to get each other cast instead of feeling like, Oh, this is because they could, they're, they're both like kind of young elfin looking, you know, attractive young male leads. It could be very easy to kind of pit them against each other and be like, they should be going for the same roles. And I like that they kind of worked together during this period in the early nineties. For sure. Uh, yeah. So thanks uh, so much for coming on again, David. Uh, great having a conversation Anytime. With on this. Uh, So that does it for this episode. Uh, Join me next time where we'll be discussing Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, So uh, see you next time and keep being excellent to each other.